and welcome to Challenges That Change Us, the podcast where we talk to our guests about how their challenges have impacted them today and how they overcame them. Whether you are someone that feels like you are thriving right now, trudging through the mud or somewhere in between, this podcast is designed to give you practical advice, profound insight into your own experience and inspire you to embrace your life. My name is Ali Flynn, the co-founder and CEO of Tri Altitude Performance, and I will be your host. It's time to buckle up your seatbelts and let's get this ball rolling. Hello, everyone listening. I love that you are back here today and I have a couple of announcements to make before the podcast kicks off. Firstly, I'd like to take a moment to thank Sam, the podcast butler. He is my editor and right-hand man on this journey. I refer to him as the podcast filter. You know how you take a photo on Instagram and there's these incredible filters to choose from? Well, he takes our interviews and works his magic on them. This podcast wouldn't be where it is today if it wasn't for his expertise and patience. Also, I wanted to remind you all that today is the last day to go in the draw to win the AirPods. All you need to do is jump on Challenges That Change Us Facebook group and invite 10 friends to go in the draw to win. Every time you share this podcast or invite a friend into our community, we have the opportunity to impact more lives. And finally, I want to shout out to everyone out there who is going through a challenge right now. I get it. If I'm being completely transparent with you all, we have had a hell of a last 10 days and I know firsthand what it takes to front up to work when you have stuff going on or try and map your way through uncertainty. I want you to know that we are all here for you. You are not alone in this space and you have a whole community behind you cheering you on and sending you virtual cuddles. You can do it today. I actually have a funny story about this week. Well, if we didn't laugh, we would have definitely cried. Our daughter's treatment plan changed and we had to go and buy $100 worth of medicine from the chemist. Anyway, the day after the doctor's appointment, I woke up feeling pretty ordinary, sad, completely deflated. So I decided to go for a walk to clear my head and try and face the day. Anyway, I got home about 5.30 a.m. and I walked into the kitchen and all of my daughter's medication was scattered across the kitchen floor and the dog had eaten half of it. Oh my God, can you imagine? Like you just get this bad news and then all of a sudden you're like, ah, my dog has overdosed. Oh, anyway, he even ate the repeats on the script. Why am I telling you this story? Because I want you to know that we have your back. You are not alone. On those dark days, on the days that you can't stop your tears, we are here with you every single step of the way. Anyway, enough about the crazy week that we've had. Let's get into this episode with Chelsea Pottinger. This woman is incredible. She is an international motivational speaker, accredited mindfulness and meditation coach. And Chelsea works with many of the world's leading brands such as eBay, Google, Telstra, CBA and Macquarie Bank to improve their team's well-being. She has her own podcast, EQ Minds, Recharge Your Mental Health, and she has her book launching on the 31st of May. Chelsea is the founder of EQ Minds and an ambassador for Are You OK? and the Gidget Foundation Australia. We will have all of her contact details in the show notes so that you can find her, find her podcast, and get in early to order her book, which is going to be fabulous. This episode covers Chelsea's experience with perinatal anxiety and depression, which nearly cost her her life. She discusses her stay in the psychiatric unit. We break down the stigma of medication. 
and what strategies and tools she found life-saving. We also have a really powerful conversation about building habits, what hacks you can use when you're trying to create that habit in your life. As always, you know I want you to look after yourself through these conversations. This episode discusses perinatal anxiety and depression, and we do dive deep into suicide. So please skip this episode if it's not for you, and we will see you next week. So welcome, Chelsea, to Challenges That Change Us. Thank you so much for giving up your time and coming on today. Thanks, Sally, for having me. It's such a joy to be here with you this morning. And I really always love to start the podcast with a question that kind of opens up your personality in a different way. So what I start with is, do you have an animal that would best describe you? And if so, what animal is that and why? That's a really interesting question. I would say, well, my husband, I know what he would say. He would say that I'm like a dog, right? (laughs) A dog with a bone. Uh, And I get, I I suppose, because I get really focused and determined on things, which I, which I do think has been helpful, you know, starting a business, uh, this quality that, you know, when times are tough and your business is in this early stage of, of growth, you need to be like, you kind of need to be like that dog, right? Mm -hmm. With a bone. (laughs) You just like don't give up. So, I'd probably say that and with species, I'd say Cavoodle. I've got a real love for Cavoodles. We had one uh, last year. I had to rehome her sadly because we were allergic. Well, I was allergic to, to butterscotch. But just the way that she used to play with toys and things like that was just, yeah, it was awesome. And I've had quite a few people say dog, but very few people have actually referred to it as dog, like a bone to a dog. And I think that that's really important for anyone out there that is starting a business because it really does, like you really have to get in and get your hands dirty and it takes a lot of work. But what what people can see from the outside, it can look seamless, right? But the amount of work that it takes to get something off the ground and we were just talking about it with your book to get your voice so that you're saying the things that you want to inspire people with or have an impact or help people grow in that space it can be really challenging yeah 100% and and that's the thing like you need to have just this razor focus and and such a belief in what you're doing and such a passion you know what lights you up it has to be so strong so when the the days get tough it doesn't matter right Mm. because you're on this mission and this greater purpose and you're like you know what I'll get through this like what I believe in is just so much more bigger than what I'm currently, than these, you know, these pain points that I might be experiencing at the moment. So, yeah, I'd, I'd say it's that whole focus on on things, which can probably sometimes frustrate him too, because like, no, we're doing this. Like, we're all in. <laughs> we're all in. <laughs> My husband would relate to that completely. It's like a fixated <laughs> state, isn't it? It's like nothing else in the world matters right now. Let's just get this done and, and do the work and and come out for some air later on, hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> and you've just launched a book, you, The Mindful High Performer. It's coming out on the 31st of May. Yeah, which I'm so, so excited about. It, it took a whole year to, to get that book together. And I just feel, you know, like if that if that toolkit, like The Mindful High Performer, that book just helps a few people out there, right, to, to feel better and perform better. And it's kind of like their, their buddy on the shelf, right? It's their companion that they can just lean on. And all the chapters are just all around helping them sort of optimize their mental and physical health to help them perform not just at work better, but also in their home life. And so it's not like a book where you sit down, you read it from cover to cut. You can if you want. But I just think about, you know, maybe someone's going to want to work on their gut health one month. So they pull out that chapter and then maybe the next chapter is like sleep or the next chapter could be something around their mindset to help with their resilience. And 
So they can always like refer back to it, you yeah. know, where they're just kind of there in their in their bookshelf. And what's relevant for them in that moment, right? It's like that's what I'm hearing, yeah, you know. Right. It, things pop up at different times for people at different points in their life. Yeah. Is it a book full of strategies? Yeah, it's like this whole – like it's a whole – it's a book on like a whole bunch of tips and tools for them and strategies, but it's also my personal story at the start of that book to really break the stigma around mental illness and, and kind of how I got into this whole new career path. And it's like the the real version of me, not what you see on LinkedIn or on Instagram. It's kind of like the down and dark, right, of, mm. of how – where my story ended up at the start. And then what I did to kind of rebuild myself and what I'm learning at, at university studying psychology. And so it's got like this whole, it's like this whole buffet, I would say, of different tools for people. And at the end of it as well, just say you're doing everything in your life, you know, you're, you've got a meditation practice for your stress or you're doing mindfulness or you have resilient strategies there, your blood work's being done and it's looking fine, you're moving your body, your sleep's been honored and you're sleeping okay and you still need more. We talk really openly about medication in the last chapter of the book around your toolkit because Mm. sometimes you can be doing everything in life, right, and we still need extra serotonin. And Mm. I know I'm someone like that, you know, like I study this stuff. I I work in this space every day of my life and still like an iron or a vitamin D deficiency, my body just cannot synthesize enough serotonin that I need to function at every other level that every other human being is. Mm. And so I wanted to be open about that in the book because I think there's a stigma around mental illness medication. It's not going to be for everyone in terms of the medication, but it is really helpful for people if they are doing all these one percenters and they're feeling like they're doing everything they can for their well-being and they're still you know, still suffering with anxiety, then it's time to speak to a professional and to talk about medication as another strategy. Mm. And I think that's, again, we're just normalizing that conversation that, you know, I just think that's just a bad rap when it comes to medication. And it's so good to hear you say this because in some of the previous podcasts leading into ours, we've talked about it's not just medication. So it's really nice to also be talking about but for someone that hasn't considered medication, maybe that's an option. And and the way that you talk about it is it's just another strategy, right? Like it's one of the many and it might be the one that works for you that really makes a difference. Absolutely. And and again, you know, for some people, it's, it's going to be such a unique journey for everyone out there. So it's really important you speak to your doctor, psychologist and psychiatrist to get the right medication for you because what I'm on might not work for some people. Mm. And so it's really important you speak to the experts. And for you, it might be Say you've had a relationship breakdown or, you know, you've lost someone really close to you in your life or you've gone through and had a beautiful baby but you're suffering really severe postnatal anxiety and depression, you may just need to go on it in that, you know, road bump and that hiccup for six months or 12 months and then they can wean you off it. For others, it's like, you know, insulin for a diabetic. Like they may need to be on it for the rest of their lives and that is okay. You know, mm-hmm. the, the safety of these drug profiles of what I read about at university, like I'm going to be on my medication. I take a serotonin reuptake inhibitor so to give me extra serotonin, it's called Zoloft. And my psychiatrist is like, are you okay to be on this until you're like 95, just like salsa dancing your way out of here? And I'm like, I am absolutely okay with that. And so it's just really important you speak to the experts, you know, and if you can engage with a psychologist and psychiatrist with your GP, I'd really encourage you to do that because the psychiatrists are really the experts in this space. Yes. 
they deal with it every day, you know. Mm. For us, we're, we're coming in at a point in time, but we don't know what the latest research is and that's what they do. That's their jam. Like they, they deal with it. They do the research on it. They're collaborating with their coworkers on it. It sounds like for you, um, Chelsea, was there a time that it felt like it was more taboo with medication? Like was that your experience? Yeah, for sure. Even with myself, you know, I remember that after going through perinatal anxiety depression and ending up in hospital, and my psychiatrist is like, you know, we're going to need to get your medication. And I'm like, oh, but I eat organic. And she's like, <laughs> I do yoga. It's like, it doesn't matter, yes. right? You've got such a strong vulnerability to that for you to recover and for me to be able to save your life. You're going to need to go on medication. And, and I was absolutely okay with that. I was, I was at breaking point. I was just so unwell. And I had to really hand my body over to her and trust her, right? Yeah. I trust you, the expert. Please save my life. That yeah. kind, that's kind of where I was at. And so I had, no, I had no other choice. And to be honest, when I went on it, I'm like, wow, you know, five weeks in, I'm like, man, I should have been on this a couple of years ago. Like, this is incredible. And then, you know, a few years after that, I was working with my GP and my integrative doctor and, I, and my psychologist. And I thought, okay, now I feel like I've been two years postnatal. I meditate. I do, I surf every day. I exercise every day. I eat really clean. You know, maybe it's time we wean off and see how we go. Maybe that was just, you know, me in a weird way going, oh, yeah, I could do this without it. Maybe, I, you know, and again, right, that's a bit of a stigma there going, am I strong enough? Mm. You know, and it's not about being strong, right? It's about understanding your body's own chemistry and things like that. And so I weaned off it six to nine months later, relapsed, went straight back on it. And that was okay. You know, I was very honest with my community and, and with my very close friends and my family going, I need to go, I need to go back on medication. Like this is, I don't want to live like this. Like this is not fair to myself. It's not fair to my daughter and my husband to get a substandard version of me. And so, yeah, I think that that whole ownership then of being honest with my community, particularly on Instagram, because it is a lot of highlight reels in that sort of social media world. And but I was very honest in my community saying, hey, I had to take a month off. I had a relapse in my mental health. I've recovered. Right, I did all the right things that I could. That's why we paused the company for four weeks. I'm now back on medication. I just want to let you know that, you know, that there's no shame or guilt around doing that. And, you know, sometimes when you take a pause, right, on the, from the things that we love, yes. to look after ourselves and love ourselves the most. And, uh, and they were amazing. Like the amount of incredible feedback and, and commentary I got from that. And I thought, wow, there's a lot of people out there that are really suffering. Mm. And they're just like, oh, I don't take, I'm stronger than this. I'm, you know, and I'm like, again, it's not about being strong. You know, the, the bravest thing you can do is actually ask for help and get yourself back to a place where you are thriving. And if that means you going on Lexapro or Zoloft or one of the many medications out there, and there's, there's always new generation medications coming through, then that is absolutely okay. And just as long as, you know, we've got other things in the toolkit, so not just relying on the medication alone mm. and smashing burgers and drinking 50 beers at night and wondering why the medication's not working. <laughs> and it's okay to have a glass of wine. It's okay to have a burger every now and again. It's just like, you know, we also need to honor the the East as well as the West, right? It's this amalgamation of the two to give us the most fulfilled life that we all deserve that, right? We're on this mm. life, this planet for such a short period of time. I don't want people to be hiding in their bedrooms because they're so anxious they can't leave, right? Like that's that's not living. No. So, yeah, we're very honest and very open about this space. And 
where my head is going is when I listen to you about that, I'm like, that takes guts to stand up, especially in those four weeks that you had to step away again for a little while to kind of, whether it's reboot or recalibrate or, you know, take a breath and, and, and get going again, like to stand up in that moment and say that publicly, I can't even imagine the courage it takes to do that. It's one thing to do it behind closed doors, right? With your close and intimate family and friends, but to then own that space and step out there so that you can help others understand that this is real and that we all go through it. Mm. But I think what message would that send to people if you're not authentic? Mm. You know, I just always think that like I've got the most incredible, genuine, supportive community at EQ Minds on Instagram and imagine if I didn't tell them the truth Mm. and that would be a disservice, right? And I just I feel like that a lot with life. It's This is what builds the connection with human beings is like exposing maybe something about yourself that sometimes we like to hide when so many other people are going through exactly the same mm. thing and it's almost like I say to people what I how I view the medication is like a performance drug for me right like it allows me to sleep really well therefore I can highly function the next day it dials down the anxiety so I can do every tool like the meditation like the surfing like the having those strong social connections it helps me make really rational focused decisions for the company like when I'm on not on medication I can be really like irrational right Mm. like I can take on too much take on way too much I try and chew faster then I get overwhelmed then I get anxiety then I get insomnia and then we know the story right it spirals down if I don't catch it early I never want to go back to that darkest of, of places so you know I'm done with like having relapses I'm like you know what no way like I don't want to do that again to myself I don't want to do that to my to my daughter, like she doesn't deserve a stressed out, burnt out, anxious mum. Like she mm. deserves the mindful, really present, calm, happy mama. You know, I just feel like it's not just about us anymore. It's about the people around us in our life. And that can be a really good driving factor, can't it? Like when we stop, especially as mums and dads, and think it's the role model we want to be and the relationships that we want to nurture can sometimes be that stepping stone to put your hand up and say, I need some more help. You know, sometimes I wish it was more just for ourselves, but often it's not right. Often it's for the people around us and the loved ones that were like, you know what, I can do this. They're here with me and they're prepared to stand beside me. So now we can like take that next step or ask the next question or get the help that we need right now with what's going on in our world. Yeah, 100%. And I always think about this, my psychiatrist is just an incredible human being. I'm about to go and see her and hand deliver her a book this afternoon. And and I send her a card every year, right, with photos of me, Jay and Clara, the day that I got admitted into the hospital at St. John of God to say thank you, right, for saving my life. And I update her every year on where we're up to, you know, what we're up to. And I think about that a lot with her. And, and she was just such a weapon of a human being, like just such a wise counsel for me. And, and she said to me at the end of the five-week stay when I – was recovering and she's like, you know, Charles, you got to start rebranding this self-care piece for you. If you don't take care of yourself, who suffers? And I'm like, well, definitely I do. And she said, and who else? And I said, well, my daughter Clara for sure and my husband Jay. And she said that to me. She's like, you know, they don't deserve a burnt-out anxious mum. They mm. don't deserve that. So every day you have to invest into your mental health and your physical health. You've got to put it in your calendar like as an appointment mm. with a CEO, otherwise you're not going to get it done. And that was such a driver for me 
because so many people put ourselves on the bottom of the to-do list, like, you know, behind the the kids, the dog, and then, you know, then you come down. <laughs> but we, I think I think that comes from a place of love and a place from like, I'll be there for everyone else. But in abandoning ourselves, we can't be there for others because we burn out. 100%. We think even about the basics, you know, when yeah. you become a new parent, like just the basics of like, eating a proper meal, not the kids' leftovers, having a shower, washing your yep. face, taking your meds, stretch, like all these things that if we were to neglect that, if we did not do that to our children, right, it, that would be labelled as neglect. Yep. Like we're in trouble with treating our children like that. So why are we doing it to ourselves? Mm. So we have to get to a place where the basics just need to be met straight away, you know, and then, you know, on top of that, then you can build on that with self-care, you know, going out with friends for coffee and um, booking in a hotel room and a night away if you want to, maybe a massage for yourself. But we need to get to a place where we rebrand going, actually, like I am I am the life source here for, for this child. So basics have to come up and be met straight away. Hey, I hope you're enjoying this episode. If you are and you'd like to learn more or engage further with our podcast community, you can do this in our Facebook group. Just search for Challenges That Change Us on Facebook or look in the link in our show notes. In this group, we'll be sharing extra content and giving further background to our episodes. So I hope to see you there. But for now, let's get back to the episode. And Chelsea, as you know, this podcast is called Challenges That Change Us and we've actually dabbled in a few of them already with what, what's happened for you. But the one that I was really thinking about was the postnatal depression. Like you mentioned that at the start and the anxiety and I thought it might be really helpful for our listeners if we can talk around that a little bit because we will have lots of mums out there that are experiencing it or have experienced it but still perhaps haven't spoken about it with anyone yet. You know, it's often behind closed doors. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. Like I remember turning up to my mother group which was in double bay and he was like turning up with a blow dry and perfectly manicured nail here i am in a baseball hat clara's like six weeks old in a football hold <laughs> i'm like does anyone want a gin like i know it's only yeah. 11 a.m yeah like, this is the worst like i'm yeah. so sleep deprived and and so i think we do that to ourselves right as mums like we put on this front and to be fair, I was doing that with my family, just going, yeah, I've got it all together. I'm, you know, loving this. And meanwhile, on the inside, I was just just rapidly spiraling into these depths of depression. And I didn't – the big thing for me, Ali, was I wasn't aware of what perinatal anxiety and depression was. So the whole awareness campaign is just so, so mm. important because I didn't realize that these, this chemical imbalance that was happening inside my mind was – because of perinatal anxiety and depression. I just thought I'd gone crazy. And I'm like, don't say anything to anyone because they're going to take Clara away from you and you're going to be locked away, right? This is just my irrational thinking process. And so I just just rapidly declined and the insomnia got worse. I had an addiction on benzos because my GP was away. So I saw a locum who gave me a prescription for benzopams. And because I was so anxious about not sleeping, I didn't know that they were addictive, so I was taking like two and then three and then four and I still wasn't sleeping, you know, so you can see where this hot mess yeah. is, is going. And then at week nine when uh, Clara, and this is a real critical time actually for perinatal anxiety and depression around the three-month, four-month mark, it's kind of breaking point for a lot of mums and dads, and I hadn't slept, the anxiety and depression was so severe, I had a massive panic attack, I was driving to the airport, I was, 
you know, this is like so wild where my thought processes were because I was going to Scotland, right, for my one of my best friend's weddings. And I thought, oh, I can do that. I can run away, right, from this situation. If I get away from Clara and I can recover, right, then I can come back and be the mum I'm meant to be. Maybe I just need a holiday, right, to escape this darkness. And on the way to the airport, I have this massive panic attack in the car. And then I could, if anyone's ever experienced a panic attack, mm. Gosh, my heart goes out to you. They're horrendous, right? Yeah. I couldn't see. My heart was beating through my chest. And and the awareness of it isn't there in that moment, right? Like you, you think you're no. dying. Like it's, you think you're dying. Yeah. You think you're dying. And then I just lost all sense of, of hope, right? I'm like, I'm just, I'm so hopeless. I can't even get mm. on the plane. I can't even get to my mate's wedding. Can't be a mum. You know, life I think is just better off without me, not here. And it went from this switch of like this severe anxiety and then to this really dark depression of me then, you know, with the car pulled over, like Googling ways like to end my life. Like I was like suicidal. I was really unwell. Like it was really scary, like reflecting back on that. And then so I drive home and my husband wasn't meant to be there and he's at home right in our place there at Rose Bay and I walk in the front door because I'd come home to write a letter to Jay and Clara and I was on the way to end my life. Like it was just so sad, just thinking about it. Yeah. And, uh, and thank God he was there, right, because he looked at me and he's like, darling, what are you doing here? And he's like, are you okay? And I, I just burst into tears, Ali, and it's the first time that I was honest with him, right? Like I'm just like, you know what, darling, I'm not okay. I'm yeah. not coping. Like, I feel like the world's going to be better off without me not here. And I, I've just come home to write a letter to you and Clara to say goodbye and you know I was on the way to the gap and and um he's like what are you talking and he's just he burst into tears it's like sweetheart I'm crying like, now listening to your story I know, like I know it makes me cry still thinking about it because that could have ended really badly yeah. right like, that could have been if he wasn't there, there. it would have looked very different very different and he, he honestly saved my life and also because he heard me right mm. because he's so caring and he's like darling I love you you know life is not better off without you not here Clara needs you as a mum. I need you as my wife let's get you let's get you straight away into to safety and let's call the experts and mm. and I was really lucky right that that I also had a cousin who was a psychiatrist and she's the most amazing human being and she was my savior as well and, and Jay called her straight away and Genevieve's like, Chels, oh, my gosh, you've got severe perinatal anxiety and depression. Let's get you to safety. Let's get you in the hospital straight away. And I was lucky. There's some luck, right, in my story. One, that Jay was at home. Two, he knew what to do. Three, that I have a cousin that's a psychiatrist. Four, that I could get a bed mm. in the Moms and Bubs unit at St. John of God because, you know, 100,000 women go through this alone in New South Wales, alone every year and there's 12 beds in a private unit in Sydney like this is outrageous to me but I was one of the lucky ones right that got in because I I could not trust myself in in the public like I was a danger to myself Mm. and being admitted into that unit I could start to to heal you know and you're around people I was in there with 12 mums and their bubs and you're in this really unfamiliar setting right? Because you like, you think you've gone crazy, right? You end up in a cycle and you're like, hang on. How did I get here? Like what just happened? Being a mom is meant to be really natural. And it's like, you know, you spend your whole life thinking about getting married and being a mom for many. And then yeah. it's like, how, where, where did the, where, how did I get here? How did I end up here? Mm. You know, all these other moms are lining up to their, get their coffees. I'm lining up to get my medication. Mm. <laughs> what is going on? 
And in saying that, I met the most amazing women in that unit. Like they, they were, there were lawyers in there. There was property developers. There was a surgeon in there. There were very high functioning females. And we had all just crumbled together. Mm. And, uh, and in that, you know, there's something really comforting in that in terms of your tribe, right? Because now you're around other people sharing with you their same stories. And the beautiful thing about this unit is that you see mums being discharged at five weeks who have fully recovered mm. and they'll say to you, Charles, we were where you were yes. on day one and now look at us. We are happy. We are strong. We've got our babies and we have recovered and so will you. That's an important message if we, you know, just pause for a moment with that. Like you, there is help and you can recover and there is light. Yeah, you don't need to do it alone. And I think the quicker you get onto it, don't don't wait. Mm. That's what I was going to ask you about that. Like when you look back now, it's you know it's always easier when you look back, right? Like in yeah, hindsight, <laughs> if only I'd known. But honestly, when you look back, what were the very early signs for you? Oh, so many. Day three, right, when the milk comes in, that's when the chemical change happened dramatically. I was having premonitions of jumping off the balcony at Coogee Bay, like at one of the okay. hotels down there. That's when you get, you know, you're allowed to leave the private hospital. They check you into a hotel. I just lied to them all that I was feeling okay so I could get, you know, a champagne and a piece of fish at a nice hotel. But, man, the demons were there day three. Yeah. And then it just spiraled from there, anxiety, insomnia, you know, feelings of worthlessness, crying every day, no sunshine, you know, yeah. like, and this is what people say to me, do you think I've got perinatal anxiety and depression? And, you know, if they're having a few sad days, but then they have a really happy day. And I'm like, the fact that you're having blue sky days, that's great, mm. right? That's that's hopeful. But still go speak to your doctor, go do the DAS score, you know, go and get yourself checked. Because I think as well, you know, it's our partners being aware of it too. And because if I'd have picked that up on day three, I would have been medicated straight away. We would have gone home or maybe I would have got admitted straight to the hospital then. Who knows? You may not have been okay with getting admitted to hospital back then either though. You know, like if someone had said to you, let's take you to hospital, you might be like, no, I got this. Like, you know, yes. you've you got to be it's at that wild. point when you're ready to accept yeah. the help um, as well. Do you think if Jay was on here now, do you think he would also say that he noticed at the start now in hindsight as well, like for the dads that are watching their mums? And it can go both ways actually. I probably should just say that now that dads can also get um, postnatal depression. It doesn't. It's not isolated just to the mum. That's right. One in 10 dads get it. Mm. You know, one of our really good mates, um, they got it and I did get him into hospital. And so one in 10 men, yeah, just, you know, they're vulnerable too. And for sure, like Jay absolutely would have noticed signs and symptoms of even things like, you know, I couldn't breastfeed two weeks. I tried and tried and my nipples are just destroyed. And and then I'm like, no, we're switching it. And I'm like, then I, I'd feed Kai. I'm like, just take her away from me. She's, you know, I started to view her as a source of the pain mm. and then hypervigilance to sound, right? Like where we lived in Rose Bay, I'd be like, oh my gosh, it sounds like there's a truck in our bedroom. I was just doing crazy shit. That's the lack of sleep too, right? Like the insomnia, yeah. you, you know, it's used as a torture technique torture. around the world. <laughs> but the lack of sleep as a mum going through it, that baby gets up and feeds and then goes back to sleep. But then there's the lack of sleep where you actually are not getting any sleep, any quality sleep at all, or quantity sleep. It sends you around the bend. Yeah, around the bend. It's so messed up. Like mother nature, can she please catch up to the program? Yeah. Like we need to get sleep when they're newborns. Yeah. And then when teenagers, let's sleep then. Yeah. But it's like the reverse. <laughs> it's yeah. just like 
They wake up consistently when they're newborn. And then when they're teenagers, they sleep for like 12 to 13 hours and don't get up. And you're like, yeah. hang on, can we reverse that cycle? Definitely. I know you would think with evolution, like Darwin's theory, and yeah, you'd think we would have changed that by now. 100%. Like you've spoken about a few of the helpful, I guess, people in your life. What were some of the strategies that you learned in the hospital or after the hospital that have really helped you anchor and ground? You know, we've heard in the beginning of this podcast that it comes and goes, you know, it's not the anxiety it sounds like, correct me if I'm wrong, sorry, but it sounds like it comes and goes in your life still. So it's a lifelong journey, right? When you've been triggered with a mental illness, it's a lifelong journey that you just need to manage, right, for the rest of your life. And life is like this, right? It is full of ups and downs. You're going to have days where they're going to be down days, you know, like, and that's okay. But it's just being aware of that and then knowing what you can do, having this toolkit around you to know what to do to get yourself out of the trench a little bit faster for you to recover. And so some of the things that really helped me in the hospital and my psychiatrist was like, you're the most anxious, optimistic person I've met. So the reason why your depression kicked in was because of the insomnia where you went to suicidal ideation was because you let that just ride for too long. Yeah. She's like, you've got your, you know, one of your parents' anxiety and your other parents' optimism. She's like, I know that because every day a friend will come in. You, you're very social. Like I was having friends coming in every day to visit me, which was just that meant the world to me, like those girlfriends and mates who turned up in hospital every day, right, with organic produce or with a pillow or with pajamas when they got back from Scotland or, you know, that meant so much to me. And I know that for the rest of my life, right, like I've got their back and to wear mm. 95, like they call me at two in the morning, I am there in a heartbeat. And so I say that to people, you know, if someone's in a unit, check in with them, like go and visit them. It means the world to that person going through mm. the suffering. And I had a very close family support. Like I am so loved. So I'm, I am very like I've got a rock solid support of family and really good friends around me. The other key thing, so those social connections, I think, for everyone to – just be mindful of this. You know, I know life gets busy, but your social connections are so important for your whole life. Like not just to celebrate with you in the good times, but also to be there as a light source through the darkest of times. And so if you're finding you're like socially isolating yourself and you're just flogging yourself at work and you're forgetting to connect with your friends and you forget to do the dinner or you just can't be bothered, don't do that. <laughs> Make sure you've got really good buddies, right, in your life because you're going to, you need each other through this whole life journey. So that's definitely something. The other thing that I learned in the hospital unit was my psychiatrist taught me how to meditate. Mm. And she taught me a lot of things about cognitive behavior therapy. It was under her guidance, actually, that I went back to study psychology. At the end of the five week stay, she said to me, you know, Chelsea, you're so lovely. And you have such a weird fascination with your brain. And you've walked through the shoes of a clinically very unwell patient. So I think you'd be able to really connect with people really, really well. She's like, why don't you consider hanging up your corporate high heels in Sydney and moving out of the city and going back to university and retraining as a psychologist? And I thought, okay, (laughs) I'll do it. I'll do that. So that's what I did. You know, I'm still at university studying psychology. I love it. I learned so much at university. I became a mindfulness meditation coach with her encouragement. I went to the Nantin Temple after the hospital stay, which is here in Wollongong, to learn loving kindness, compassion, meditation. And that was, that was beautiful, particularly if anyone's listening and they've gone through a mental illness. 
you can have a lot of uh, guilt or shame, you know, around, oh, why me? Why do I have anxiety? I'm a nice person. What? You know what? You're just going to have to own it, right? Mm. Like it's just a part of your unique, beautiful blanket and everyone's kind of got a bag of shit that they carry, right? It's just that this is kind of what makes us unique as individuals and as soon as you own that stuff, it doesn't have power over you anymore. And one of the big things that really helped me was learning about loving kindness, compassion, meditation because I was a perfectionist. I'm, I'm a recovered one now and that was one of the tools that really helped me was to take the pressure off myself as a type A high-functioning person to go, you know what, university, a credit is going to be okay sometimes. You know what, on the Instagram, it's okay if sometimes we make a spelling error. It's, you know, I love that your credit is okay because at our uni, a PISA degree, but it's yeah. the high achiever part, right? Like it's still a credit, you know. <laughs> P's get degrees, everyone. Chelsea, <laughs> uh, I know we're, we're running out of time and I have so many questions, but one that I think would be extremely valuable for everyone listening, and you probably get asked this a lot, but with meditation – or mindfulness, I guess we can go down the path of either. Where can people start in real hardcore steps? You know, like one place is absolutely your um, podcast. For anyone that hasn't listened, your podcast is EQ Mind Recharge Your Mental Health. And I have listened to that all week. I was telling Chelsea this morning that when she hopped on, I was still listening to it and I was kind of in la-la land, but that's one way. But for people that it feels like it's over the other side of the fence and a long way away. What can they start with? I would say start really small. You know, think about meditation not in terms of getting into some kind of cosmic ooze where we're going to, you know, levitate around the room because that's not it. I want you to start thinking about it, everyone, as a scientific, like, exercise for your brain. Just like you take your body to the gym, we have to learn strategies to take our brain there. And what we see in science is that the amygdala, your stress and anxiety center, reduces in size within a few months of practicing. Now, that needs to blow our mind, people, because if that part of our brain is getting smaller, what that means for all of us is is less stress, less anxiety, less reactivity. So what I always say to people is when you start taking your brain to the gym, just like your body, right, if we're going to, I wouldn't say, hey, let's go run a marathon today if you've never ran before, right, we'll start with like a 1K run and kind of build our way up. If we're in the gym lifting weights, say we're doing a chest press, we start with a bar, right? Mm. And then we'll like load up the weights as we continue on. So the same thing in the brain. If you've never trained it before in terms of like a meditation practice, it's going to get super active, super naughty. You're going to have heaps of thoughts and that's okay. But what I say is just dial it back down to like a one to three minute practice for the first week every day. So with all of life's kind of habits, it's all about consistency versus intensity, right? We want to do these little things each day that kind of build up the muscle, so I'd say go somewhere guided that they can coach you, whether that is with us on Insight Timer or at our podcast or whether that's, you know, if you're like, Charles, ew, you've got an Australian accent. I can't meditate with you. <laughs> that's totally okay. I would go to Headspace, right, yeah. or Calm or Smiling Mind. They're another amazing Australian company doing great things out there. But it's finding someone's guided voice that you like and someone that you can connect with. And all your job is to do is just to turn up and listen And in that process and in that practice, your mind will drift away. It will. It naturally is going to happen, right, when you're listening to a body scan or doing breath work. As soon as you recognize that your mind's gone off, maybe it's like, oh, don't forget, Chelsea, you got to get the dry cleaning this morning, get a coffee on the way to Sydney. What are you going to have for lunch today? If your mind drifts off like that, which it naturally will because the mind is always very busy, and you recognize that thought, 
and you bring it back to the meditation where you are up to on that guided practice, that is one bicep curl for your brain. That's what's strengthening up the brain. And that's how I want you to view it. Okay, it's not like you have to get into zero thoughts for the practice. That's not it. That's unachievable and that's not how your brain will function. But what the practice is is recognizing the thinking and bringing it back to the guided meditation to that point of focus. And what you will start to notice within a couple of months is that your mind does quieten down. And it's not just you've got sheer focus in that meditation, but you do so also out of the meditation. So it's like the gym. You work out, you have clear benefits in science for the next 24 hours, what it's doing to the brain and the body. If you meditate, it's only for 10 minutes a day, so you might write that down. 10 minutes is kind of the end goal where you need to get to to have these amazing like neurological changes in your brain. So say, you know, you are doing this 10-minute practice a day consistently, what you will notice is that not only are you more present in the moment when you are meditating, but also for the next 24 hours, the interactions that you're having, you're not as likely to get distracted by your pings on your phone. You're really engaged in the moment. And not only will you start to notice these kinds of things about yourself, you become a calmer, more sharper in the memory, creative kind of force, but so will the people that you live with. And so will the people that you work with. They're going to be like, what is going on with you? <laughs> you just seem like this calm force. And that's when you get hooked in. That's actually what becomes addictive, I think. And when you've had that experience, you can you can call on that when you need that motivation. You know, that's what every time yeah. I go down to the yoga studio, it's like it's the only time in my day that no yeah. one's asking me to do anything. There's nowhere I need to be. And I fall in love with that, you know. Oh, my God, as a busy mom owning three companies, I get to just like stop for a whole hour and that's the addiction and then all the benefits that come from that. But I think also like we've spoken about a lot in this podcast, but even what we're talking about now is still comes back to that habit forming. And so going back and thinking about what's my why and what will it cost me if I don't do it. And on day three, we know like the research tells us that might be a day that we're a bit wobbly and we could drop off. So let's get to day four, you know, Mm -hmm. let's get to day four. And then when we get to day four, it's like, let's get to day 22 and just set those small little steps along the way. I love that, Ali. That's a beautiful summary. (laughs) (laughs) I I could talk all day though. There's so many things I want to ask you about, you know, what you do in the corporate space because you really do. But I will will add that into the introduction and, you know, where people can find you as well. And, of course, we're going to add it into our Facebook group, Challenges That Change Us. I'll pop your information in there. And also some of those links that you spoke about to the meditation. We've already got some in there, but I will keep refreshing that. Um, And I'll add in your podcast there so that people have it really easy access and they can just pop it in and just start, you know. And like you said, if day one, day four, day seven, you're still like, oh, I don't know if this is for me, just persist initially, mm-hmm. trust the process and mm. maybe set it like a 60-day challenge for yourself and then see how you feel at the end. Maybe write a note about how you feel about meditation, what you think about it, what you're nervous about, why you're Mm. going to find it hard to start and then have a look at that after 60 days and you'll feel like your world's apart. We forget where we start, don't we? Absolutely. We always do. But you won't forget the way that you feel. Like I feel like that's a, it's just a non-negotiable now, right? Mm. Like that's, you chase that feeling. Like that's a huge thing. Like that's what motivates me every year when I sit down to do my goals. I'm like, What's the theme for this year? How do I want to feel? Not what do I want to have? Like how do I want to feel within myself? And I kind of always lean on the same kind of ones, you know, calm and relaxed and content. And so all my goals kind of revolve around that. And so I feel like that, you know, maybe if it's for you and you're like, you know, meditation, 
I want to feel focused. You know, that's just have that as your your baseline as your own sort of N equals one study, right? You're the best subject matter in science. Like you try it. Knowledge is powerful. But it's only powerful if you kind of take away something and you do something with it, right? So you're the best subject matter in science. Do it. Try it. If you get more focus, see focus is your goal, see how you feel mm. two months from now. Game changing. Mm. Absolutely life changing, to be honest. And I think to add on to that, it's like, how do you want to show up in the world? How do you want to show up for yourself? And how do you want to show up for your loved ones? You know, thinking about it from both angles, because we heard yeah. from you today, Chelsea, that you, that's one of your drivers is about, and I think about that with my family all the time. I'm like, there's five of us in this picture. It's not just me anymore. And so I want to be considerate and compassionate towards the rest of the family. So when I make a decision, it's like, am I showing up the best that I can as a mom and a wife? You know, there's days that we all get it like so far wrong like I had a day yesterday rocked up to the yoga studio with my younger daughter and we got to the driveway and that was it we didn't make it any further because there was tears and you know like but it's it's what do you want that to look like and what will it mean for you if you are showing up like that for yourself and for your loved ones absolutely so with that Chelsea my question that comes up is you would have and this is I'm thinking about the listeners like we often we know this, right? Like we know the importance of sleep and we know the importance of nutrition. We know the importance of fitness, yet we're not doing it for some reason. Like what do you think about when I say that? Because I think it would have been for you, right? Like you would have known the importance. And like you said, it wasn't enough. Like you could be doing those things and you needed the medication as well as part of the strategy. But for people out there that are listening going, yeah, I know all that, but I can't do it. Like it's, you know. I think that that's probably links into procrastination, I'd say, which we talk about a lot in our book on in one of the chapters called Your Productivity. And I feel like, you know, with procrastinating on, say, even health and well-being, you know, when I poll people in our workshops, we train a couple of thousand people a week. Like last year, we trained 100,000 people across the globe with big wow. brands. And we poll people, you know, what's your number one thing you're procrastinating on? Do you know what the majority said? Exercise. Yep. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You know, in COVID and the only way you could like run away from your husband was to get outside. Like I'm like, hang on a second. That's like to move my body, get outside. Like I found that so fascinating to me. And and so I think like a couple of things for the listeners, like to overcome, you know, if you're procrastinating on your health and well-being, one, it's finding that intrinsic motivation is so, so powerful. Like why is this important to you? Mm. And one of the big things for me is thinking about someone that I love more than myself. That's how I'm motivated. I'm motivated now through my daughter, Clara, right? But it could be for someone, it could be your mum, right? They don't deserve having to come down for a month to look after you and you're burnt out, right, because you're sick. It could be your partner. It could be your best mate. It could be – so it's that whole thing around finding intrinsic motivation of why you want to feel really great. If you can't motivate yourself, going, well, I want to feel like really happy and fulfilled and, and focused and have this 1% of performance by having really good sleep. So that's number one. Number two is like getting an accountability partner. I think that's really, really mm. crucial. So pre-committing to someone is really helpful in the psychology research. So there's a lady out there called Dr. Molly Crockett who says that if we pre-commit to someone, say it's the personal trainer, right, we're going to get stronger in the gym, then that will double our chance of achieving our goals. So willpower strong, but willpower plus, you know, pre-committing to someone will double your chance. So get a PT, right? When you've got someone waiting for you at the gym, it's going to double your chance of actually getting there and achieving those goals. And then the third one I think is like rewards along the way, which is kind of one of my favorite ones is like treat yourself. 
you know, like say, for example, you're like, you know what, I'm going after sleep, like oh, really good sleep quality. I'm going to start honoring my really good sleep. So I'm going to do a half an hour pre-sleep routine every night. Right, I'm going to get off the screens half an hour before bed. And instead, I'm going to instill this half an hour pre-sleep routine. And these are the kind of three times you need to reward yourself in terms of brain motivation. So if you're listening, you might want to jot these down so you remember. So day three is when you, you know, you, you go really, say you get inspired. Maybe you're inspired after this podcast going, that's it. Sleep is something for me. I'm going to get across that. So half an hour before my bed, I'm not going to watch tech, be on any tech devices. So it doesn't, you know, suppress melatonin, which keeps you down nice and deep when you sleep. And I'm going to start instilling a half an hour pre-sleep routine. And you get really excited, right? And you go hard for about a couple of days. But then what most human beings do is they habituate back into their regular habits, unfortunately. (laughs) We all know that. (laughs) (laughs) And it's like when you start a diet, you know, you're like, yes, I'm going clean. I'm doing keto. And then like day three, you just smash a box of chocolates. So day three is a really important day. So I'd say reward yourself with something that's physically, you know, something that rewards you in that goal you're trying to attain. So if it is, you would want a better sleep and you're like, you know, I'm really going to honor my sleep hygiene. Day three, invest in something that honors that goal. So if it's sleep, get yourself a really good pillow. Or maybe it's like, you don't want to create, you know, your environment like a Zen environment in your bedroom, right? So one, it could be getting a really good pillow, for example. And then because uh, you want to double down on that goal, you wouldn't go and buy yourself kitchen knives because your goal isn't to become mm. a health chef, right? So you double down on the sleep goal. Then day 21 is the next day. So you might want to jot that down, everyone. So day 21 is in the short-term memory, right? It starts hooking in. So you're like, okay, cool. I've made it to three weeks now. I'm going to buy myself something else that's rewarded, you know, for the bedroom. So it could be a really nice set of pajamas. It could be like an eye mask to block out all the light in your bedroom because that also disrupts sleep, deep sleep. And then the next time you need to give yourself a, a big treat is day 66. So that's the big treat time. That's when your habit on average, on average across sort of the population, 66 days and when it forms up uh, in the brain, basal ganglia, and you're kind of then into a natural habit. It's kind of like a non-negotiable, right? So now you've got this sleep routine in your in your schedule. And so that day 66 is like a big reward. It could be like a massage. It could be like, you know what? I'm going bigger. I'm going on a retreat for a weekend because I just kicked that massive goal and now I've got this consistent sleep routine and I'm sleeping really well. So I think those three things hopefully will help the audience. We've got into like another 10 on procrastination. <laughs> well, I, w- I was going to say, where do people get the book? Like if they're interested in buying or purchasing the book, how can they find it? Well, I think all authors say this, don't they? Get the book from all good bookstores. <laughs> <laughs> so it will be in all the bookstores. We'll also add it to the show notes, right? We'll put in the link to buy it, but it will be in all the bookshops. It will be in all the bookshops. Murdoch has, has published it for us and I'm so grateful to them for bringing our dreams to life. So you can get on Booktopia. If you wanted to go online, you can go to any bookstore. It's going to be at the airport. It's going to be at all your bookstores. So you'll you'll see it. It's like got half of my face on the cover. (laughs) Yeah. It's funny when you were talking just then, I was thinking about the two things around habits as well. And one of the questions that I really love, this might add on to what you were saying is what is it going to cost you if you don't do it? I think that sometimes can be a really good question to start with at the beginning when you're trying to find your why as well. And then also like reverse engineering, you've got to know what does it mean to you and what impact is it going to have in your world if you do achieve it as well? So when you were talking, 
talking about the why at the start, they're two really good questions when you're sitting down thinking about why is this important to me and what will it mean to me when I do achieve it? And what does it look like? What does that word achieve actually look like? You know, when you're talking about quality of sleep, is it eight hours of quality sleep? Is it not waking up? Is it the ability to go back to sleep when you do wake up? I mean, for each of us, it's so different, right? That's awesome. I love that. What will it cost me if I don't do it? I think that's, I think that's awesome, right? Your future projecting on what your future self will look like. Yes. You know, if you, just, if you just take on one habit from the book, right? And it's like you just honor your gut health. Yeah. And you think about that if you're someone who's got irritable gut issues or you've got anxiety and depression, you know, the gut and the brain are completely linked. And that's the one thing you focus on. If you visualize and imagine your future self six months, 12 months from now and how well and healthy that looks, that also is a massive driver, right, mm. to get you across the line. So I, I really like that. I haven't heard someone say that before in terms of that way of thinking, but I really like that. It's like the yeah. loss aversion. Yes. Like, I don't do this. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Because sometimes that's really hard is to work out your why. I mean, that can sometimes be the hardest step, which is why we end up not even getting over the line day three because we've forgotten to do that, what you said. What's my why behind this? Yeah, absolutely. There's one more question I nearly forgot to ask. This will be a good one. Who in your world or what in your world truly makes you belly laugh? It's, it's probably cliche, but to be honest, my husband and I laugh every day. And, and so same with our daughter. She's got a very contagious laugh, like my mum actually. And I see a lot of my mum with Clara, like the sparkle in her eye. But, you know, Jay and I have been together for a very long time, 22 years have been together. But we've really grown together and our sense of humour is they're kind of morphing into the same, <laughs> into the same person. <laughs> And uh, and I'd say my brother also, he makes me laugh so much. He lives in the Sunshine Coast and he massively keeps me grounded. We've got a very funny banter kind of relationship and he's always just ripping into me and throwing shades at me and it's just so hilarious. We keep each other grounded and, he, and he's an absolute legend. It's another way to get space in your day when you're really laughing, isn't it? It just, it kind of, yeah, it's it a is. circuit breaker. It's a circuit break. I love stand-up comedy. I watch a lot of comedy. When I walk, I listen to stand-up and I literally will have to like bend over under a tree because I'm laughing so hard. I'm laughing. <laughs> Who's that girl walking down the street? What is she? Is she okay? Is she having a heart attack? laughing <laughs> But I love it because I come home in such a good mood. I'm like, I've been for a walk. I've listened to the most awesome stand-up and now I feel great. Yeah, no, I love it. I love comedy. I love humor. I think it's really important. Thank you so much for your time. But I want to actually say thank you for your vulnerability and thank you for being so honest in this space. I think sometimes um, when we listen to people talking and telling their story, we forget that how close it is and how real it is and how many feelings come up when we tell it and and those elements of shame that can still sit there even when we've done the work and even when we tell our story like told it a few times there's still moments that are like you know this is very real and it feels like yesterday and so I just want to say thank you from my heart for being so honest in this space and so real so that other people can hopefully a, identify if something's going on for them, even if they're not sure, you know. It's not like you'll listen to this and be like, oh, that's me. You, you may be, but you might also be like, oh, that's interesting. I mm. haven't heard that before. Maybe I should explore this a bit further. Absolutely. And, and Ali, I, that's my whole intent with my story, you know, and with the book. For me, when I was in hospital, someone gifted me Jessica Rowe's book and that was like the light source for me. I thought, well, if someone like Jessica Rowe could go through perinatal anxiety mm. and depression and recover and still have this amazing life, 
And as the universe always supports my journey, it's, you know, I met up with her at Business Chicks. She was the MC and I was one of the speakers. And I was able to share that moment with her of mm. her being a contributing factor for saving my life. And we had a moment right on stage. We both cried and we became good friends since then. And she's also the quote on my book. And she's going to MC our big PR event. And I think, wow, imagine if someone at St. John of God or someone in an obstetrician's clinic reads the book or sees that story and goes, wow, this has given me hope that I can recover. And I think that would be awesome. They're the, mo- they're the moments when you, and we may never hear about that ripple effect. You know, it's so beautiful that you were able to tell Jessica, like look her in the eyes and tell her the impact that she had. Um, but so often we don't hear that. Yeah. And, you know, I just love your idea that it's like, if it helps one person, just one, it's worth it. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, thank you, Ali, for letting me share my story and for turning the volume up with uh, mental illness and with perinatal anxiety and depression. I'm I'm so grateful. And if you could also pop in the show notes for me as a favor, the Gidget Foundation yes. Australia, who support they're the emotional support really in Australia for perinatal anxiety and depression. I wish I knew about them and I went through my staff. I became an ambassador for them in 2017, just a couple of years after I had my own experience. But they've got amazing resources. They've got amazing psychologists, amazing psychiatrists there that specialize in this space. And, and a lot of people don't know about them. I was them. just about to say, do you know, until I did my research, I didn't know about them. I've had three yeah. kids and I'm a psych I and I work with, I know. you know, and I just, so that's why it's so important. Absolutely. We'll put in the show notes and our Facebook group because we need to spread the word so people know where they can go to get up to date, accurate information and where they can go for help. Same as for partners. I'm, I'm sure they'd have stuff on there for the partners going, going through it because you know, it's not just the one person that's in it. It's the support people around them as well that don't know how to Absolutely. help and, and want, to, want to find out more information or ask the questions. Absolutely. That is so true. That is so true. Thank you. Whew, what an episode. I honestly mean this when I say it, and you've heard me say it before, but I cannot say this enough. The courage and the guts it takes for someone to stand up and to bear their soul. Like Chelsea is an international public figure for her to get on here and have that conversation so that with the intention that you as a listener may gain something from it, may feel less alone, may be able to pick up one of those strategies that she talked about, or perhaps it just gives you an idea of what your next step could be or someone in your circle or your world, like a friend or a family member going through it. I want to acknowledge anyone that has been through perinatal anxiety or depression. It is a struggle. And I really hope that if you've listened to this and that is something that you are even thinking you might be going through, please get the help. Please reach out. DM and we can give you some more resources. We are here for you. And just thank you every person and every guest that has come on this podcast and just spoken so truthfully and held nothing back. Anyway, I will see you all next week. Really looking forward to the next episode and have a great week. Thank you everyone for listening and taking the time out of your day. I believe we can learn so much from connecting with other people's experiences and stories. I hope you've gained some strategies and insight from today's episode. You can gain more by joining our Facebook group, Challenges That Change Us, or next week we will return with another episode.